If you could see them, it'd be obvious. Mom's skin is white. Her son's skin is black. She was born in Wichita, Kansas. He was born in inner city Baltimore. Their names are Colleen and Peter. Culture and color and all the other things that separate people today could have kept them from becoming what they are, a mother and her son. Probably no one would have ever thought, in 2020, in East Baltimore, Colleen and Peter would become a family. But they have. This special episode of Stories of Hope is about adoption and family and a thousand other important things. It's written by Colleen. It's episode 38. Colleen Loves Peter. Here now is Colleen Smith telling her story of hope. For weeks, I watched her hold his hand tightly as she trudged through the streets of my East Baltimore neighborhood. For weeks, I smiled at her, hoping to get across to her. I saw the beauty beneath her sweat-stained shirt and bloodshot eyes. Her name was Carol. I leaned down and warmly greeted her little boy whose name I did not know, gazing into his grown-up eyes to let him know I was safe and that I understood. My name is Colleen, I told his mother. I live on the 400 block of Luzerne and I run a kids program at the church. How old is your sweet little man? I referred to him as a little man because he wasn't a child any longer. As his drug-addicted mom walked him up and down the most dangerous blocks in the neighborhood, he was a five-year-old boy carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. At this point, most would assume Daddy is in prison, murdered, or lost somewhere on the streets. Where is his dad, I asked gently, and with as much love as I possibly can. He's working. One of us has to make an honest living, and it certainly isn't me, she said with shame in her voice. Then... She announced, Miss Colleen, meet Peter, my pride and joy. I remember this conversation like it happened yesterday. And I specifically prayed that June summer night that this encounter with Miss Carol would be the first step of her trusting me with her baby. I was the white church lady the kids affectionately called Miss Coco. I prayed that a friendship would start here, a friendship that would allow me to help Miss Carol help herself. The next day, Peter showed up at morning summer camp at my church around the corner. He walked with my older kids to the neighborhood free lunch site and then spent the afternoon playing, giggling, creating crafts, making friends, and wrapping all the volunteers around his finger. You know, for those extra snacks. Young Peter had a personality that would make even the grumpiest of grumps cheer up. And he loved his mama with a passion. Day after day, Peter continued to show up. And day after day, I continued to love his mama, no matter how late she was picking him up or no matter the choices she made. I continued to encourage Miss Carol to let me help her. Seasons passed. Fall, winter, spring, another summer. When there was no summer camp on certain weeks, I would see her on Wednesday nights when she dropped Peter off for kids club. On other days, I watched her continue to drag him up and down the streets, be displaced from home to home, hear stories about the people that are after them, and I would continue to plead with her to let me help. Some nights I would see her alone and know that Peter was somewhere seemingly safe with his dad. 
One evening, I saw Miss Carroll walking out of the home of another family I loved dearly. She was not with her husband, Mr. Michael, nor with Peter, but alone. I stopped her halfway down the block, noticing tears streaming down her face. I'm going away, she cried. I left my baby with Miss Mary, and I know he'll be in good hands. I don't know if or when I'll be back, because this detox might kill me. She said that last line with a nervous giggle. I have to do this if I want to be the mama Peter wants. Then she explained to me why Mike, that's her husband, and Peter's father couldn't keep him. Hubby works too many hours, so Miss Mary said she'd keep Peter. Mike can visit him there. That night, she checked herself into a rehab facility and began a journey none of us expected. 45 days later, she returned a different woman, a mama that Peter continued to love with a passion. Over the next few years, our friendship blossomed and I kept close track of their family. Then in August, 2015, it felt like the world ended for 10 year old Peter. My phone rang about three days before the start of a new school year. Peter's mom died, I heard on the other end of the line. She died in our living room of cardiac arrest. Paramedics were able to resuscitate Miss Carol and take her to the nearest hospital but Peter then watched her die a second time when they couldn't bring her back. His dad was on the other end of the phone telling me he doesn't know what to do to get Peter in school, what school supplies he will need, and how he was going to do this alone. So began the journey of Peter, Mr. Michael, and Mama Colleen. You see, a few weeks after I got Peter situated with school, making sure he had the proper uniform, school supplies, and after I had gotten to know his teacher, I got another phone call I wasn't expecting that changed my life. It was Mr. Michael. Miss Colleen, I don't know if you know this or not, but I have cancer. I'm probably going to die before Peter grows up. Carol and I talked before she died and we want you to take Peter. Silence happened on the other end of the line as I processed what he had just said. Well, okay, I need some time to think about this, but I'll get back to you, I said, as my mind spun in a million different directions. A few weeks later, I told him yes, and a few months later, I held in my hands a green folder that contained all the legal papers that made me a guardian and essentially a mama. I embraced my role as mama because for so many years, I longed to be just that, a mama. Most days I don't feel deserving or equipped, I grieved with Peter over the loss of his mom. We celebrated her and still do on her birthday, Mother's Day, and other special days that Peter wants to remember her. All while watching his father battle some of the hardest years of his life. With dialysis, heart troubles, infections, countless hospital visits, and nights wondering if we would see him again. The three of us had grown quite a bond. Four years passed. On top of running an inner city ministry full of trauma and heartbreak, I embraced a life of not knowing when that phone call would come, not knowing when Mr. Michael called if I was gonna have to drop everything to care for him. I would be lying if I said it didn't wear on me at times and make me resentful, but I knew this father and son were gifts from God that I didn't know I needed. During the summer of 2019, it was clear that Mr. Michael's health was deteriorating. We permanently moved Peter into my home since we knew at the end of this, his dad wasn't coming home. 
I will never forget the day the doctor said we need to have a family meeting and make some hard decisions. Not only was I now the legal guardian of a 14-year-old boy, but it was also the medical decision maker for his dying father. I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders as I helped make those tough decisions alongside the man who'd become a piece of my heart. On a warm mid-September day, Mr. Michael agreed that dialysis would stop after his Saturday treatment. And by the following week, he would be transferred to hospice care. How do you tell a teenage boy that his father will likely die within the next two weeks? Monday morning came and we moved into a local hospice center that became home for the next few days. I would drop Peter off at school, take my laptop and sit with Mr. Michael during the day. I would pick up Peter from school so the two of them could hang out and laugh together. We brought his dad all the donuts, fried chicken wings, Big Macs, french fries, and milkshakes he wanted. They played their last chess game together, and Peter's piano teacher, Miss Melissa, came to the hospice center and helped Peter play a special private recital for a few close friends, some nurses, but most importantly, his dad. We cried, we laughed, we talked. As morbid as this sounds, those last few days were some of my favorite. I got to have intimate conversations with Mr. Michael about what heaven would look like, whether or not Jesus was waiting for him, how I would raise Peter, the things I would make sure Peter would do, the way I would love him, and the things I would teach him. We laughed about the memories we made the past few years and relished in the gift of three extra years we had together. I sent Peter home Friday evening and stayed a little longer because Mr. Michael didn't want me to leave. I sat next to him and held his hand, reminding him that we loved him. I kissed his forehead goodnight and cried all the way home. When I arrived the next morning, they told me I should call Peter and anyone else who needed to come. Peter came and sat with his dad. Then the hospice nurse came in and told us Mr. Michael wouldn't die with us around. He was holding on for us. We left the room and five minutes later, he peacefully slipped away to be with Jesus. That day, I became the single mom of a 14-year-old. One of the scariest, hardest, most humbling journeys of my life. Raising a grieving teenager is not for the faint of heart. And to be completely honest, raising a black son in the climate of today's society is one of the hardest things I will ever do with my life. But Peter and I, we're doing okay. We laugh, we fight with each other and for each other. We mourn, we grieve, we relentlessly chase Jesus together. We cheer each other on. And we are growing day by day, minute by minute. He's now learning how to drive, pray for me. And he's a kind, humble, smart, and talented young man who will change the world with his music and your life with his heart. As for me, I am learning day by day how to be the parent Peter deserves, knowing I will mess up along the way, but also knowing we're learning how to live together and how to survive and thrive in this broken world. As I look back fondly on that hot June day in a Baltimore neighborhood, seeing the beauty beneath what the world had deemed broken in a drug addicted mom, I thank God he connected us. Then I loved Miss Carol as my friend. Now I also love her as the mother of the greatest gift I ever received. I honor her and I pray that as she looks down on us, she is proud of the team that we have become.
That was Colleen Smith in Baltimore, Maryland. Colleen began her journey with Peter as a mentor. Then she became his legal guardian. Now she's going through the process to adopt him. And Peter, he's now planning a career as a professional musician. What you're listening to now is some of his music. Ever since me and my father had to make a life Every time somebody mentioned mom, I had to make a fight I told my father, it was like, son, that ain't gon' make it right Talk about my parents, get you hurt, you ain't thinking bright I'm the type to prove somebody wrong, giving no they right Mom telling me things, I was too young to know She said, don't let them play you like your mom's a toy I raised you better, ain't no question, you a mama's boy Raising an African-American child in a predominantly African-American community Colleen Smith has been having conversations for years about race and those same conversations she's been having, now everyone is having them. Undivided is a Bible study that helps you and your church understand the role God calls us to play in racial reconciliation. You can download that study for free at namb.net slash undivided. There are thousands of boys and girls in the foster care system who need someone to love them. You and your church can help meet their needs and share Christ with them. For practical tips on how to get started, go to sendrelief.org. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Stories of Hope. You'll automatically get a new episode every two weeks. Go to Apple or Spotify Podcasts and search for Stories of Hope. And finally, if you liked what you heard here, please rate us and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That'll help other people find us and enjoy these stories too. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Stories of Hope.